from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. So going from that cultural understanding to American cultural understanding was a hard transition. I was um, Anglican from the womb. (laughs) I was the one who looked at the priest and said, I want your job. (laughs) My my ministry in the church has been in the Midwest. You said, quote, you didn't think they were ready for a black, gay, married with kids, immigrant bishop. Were you pleasantly (laughs) surprised? So I I sent them a bunch of them in the mail to say, well, if people are going to steal them, here's a bunch more that you can put up. The violence that's being perpetrated against our trans siblings, that I think is a church issue. Um, But the call to seek after justice is at the heart of who we are as Christians. I'm convinced we need to just go back to the basics. I'm Sarah Fenske. Two years ago, the Reverend Dion Johnson became the 11th Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri. His territory includes 41 parishes in the eastern half of the state, as well as a campus ministry and an intentional community that's part of the Episcopal Service Corps. At the time of his selection, Bishop Johnson was the youngest bishop in the Episcopal Church in the U.S. And that's not all. He was also the first black bishop and the first openly gay leader of the Missouri Diocese. And he joins us today. Bishop Dion Johnson, welcome. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Well, this afternoon now. This afternoon. (laughs) We just crossed over that line. So when you took this role on, this was in June of 2020, Mm -hmm. you said, quote, you didn't think they were ready for a black, gay, married with kids, immigrant bishop. Were you pleasantly surprised? (laughs) I have been pleasantly surprised and happy to eat those words. (laughs) So was it church leaders who turned out to be ready for this or the entire, uh, your congregants, the diocese? The whole diocese. um, the, The hospitality that has been present across across the diocese and the congregations and the clergy and the leadership has been almost overwhelming in many ways. <laughs> and you were new to Missouri at the time that all this happened. Yes. <laughs> had you spent really any time here before that? No, um, I had been here twice before um, and both were for interviews for oh, the wow. position. So. <laughs> so you didn't really know too much about what you were getting into. Not at all. Um, I had a great profile from the diocese of who they who they said that they were and what they wanted to do, but... Um, no idea of the geography. Um, I got a sense at the first set of interviews, but you know, the <laughs> seeing it on paper and experiencing it are two very different things. Two very different <laughs> things. Now, you're originally from a place that I feel like is very different than St. Louis. I mean, here we are, this landlocked city. You're from Barbados. Yes. <laughs> I, I miss the ocean. I miss bodies of water. Yeah, you but, may have but... chosen the wrong assignment. <laughs> <if> it... <laughs> no, I, I think God made the right call. Yeah. <laughs> These are my people. <laughs> So you came to the U.S. Um, at age 14. Yes. That's a hard age even when you're not being uprooted to a brand new culture. W- was that difficult for you? I will say it, it was very difficult. Um, going from a, uh, So Barbados has more of a British-type culture. Mm-hmm. And so going from that cultural understanding to American cultural understanding um, was, was a hard transition. A lot of the culture references today, there's some culture references that I still don't get because I didn't grow up with this culture. Yeah. <laughs> But so you, you know, you kind of had this challenge at first. When did you feel like you kind of got your sea legs in the U.S.? Um, Probably by the time I got to college. Um, Four years of high school and kind of integrating into the the setting. Um, And then going off to college, um, I went to Case Western in Cleveland. Um, 
I think by the time I got there, I, I pretty much got a better sense of American culture and like this is home. And then you're there in the Midwest. Yes. Um, that's, you know, Cleveland in some ways kind of a similar city mm-hmm. to St. Louis. Did that sort of whet your appetite for, yeah, I want to work in the Rust Belt? So, yeah. Well, I mean, I started off in Cleveland and then I went to Michigan and from Michigan, they called me here. So my, my ministry in the church has been in the Midwest yeah. and I've gotten a great sense of the people of the Midwest and a little bit of what makes them tick. So what does make us tick? Well, I think this need for hospitality. Um, I have, I mean, I've spent, my family, um, when I moved here, we moved to New York. So I spent lots of time on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. um, And I found that the hospitality here has been amazing. Mm -hmm. That um, wanting to make anybody feel comfortable and welcome and at home tends to be kind of a Midwestern trait. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me about your calling to be a minister. Was this something that you knew going back to that 14-year-old boy newly arrived in the U.S.? Yes. Well, I mean, so I was that impetuous child um, at 11 when we went through um, the rite of confirmation where you affirm your faith. Um, I was the one who looked at the priest and said, I want your job. You knew that even then. <laughs> well, it was it was a sense of calling then. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, I tried to run away from that call um, because... It, I wasn't. I was struggling with sexuality. I was struggling with a new culture, with where I was, and the whole nine yards. And so, um, trying to discern: Well, am I called to this? Do I want to do this? What will be the pushback against doing it? Um, but it took some really intuitive folks in my life to say to me, no, this is the call that you need to pursue. Um, And it's all just kind of fallen into place from there. (laughs) And what about that call? You know, you said you fought it and you maybe had some Mm -hmm. good reasons for resisting it. What what was it about that call? What was the appealing side of this to you? Well, I've always wanted to be in a place to help people in their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to college to study to become a doctor. <laughs> so I, yeah. I have a degree in biology that I don't really use very much now. <laughs> um, but it, it, my calling was to serve, yeah. to serve other folks. And so um, God has a great sense of humor in putting the right people in the right places at the right time to say to me, no, this is your calling. Um, and you get to discern it, um, not in a vacuum. You get to discern it with the village. And were you raised Episcopalian? Yes. So um, I was raised Anglican, which is in, in the other parts of the world, the Episcopal Church is called the Anglican Church. Yeah. Um, because of the revolution and the whole the, the split from England, we became the Episcopal Church rather than the Anglican Church in the United States or something. Um, so I, I, I was um, Anglican from the womb. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mother went up for this, this lovely service called the Churching of Women, which was prayers for a safe delivery of children at childhood. Childbirth. So yeah, so you were raised in this church. Yes. Now, at these days, uh, the Episcopalian Church has a, has a very good reputation of being open to LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. Um, was that the case back when you were coming up and, and you were dealing with your own sexuality? Yes and no. Um, in the Anglican Church in Barbados, where I grew up, um, as long as you didn't talk about sexuality, things were just fine. Oh, that sounds so simple. Just <laughs> exactly. never refer just... to this very important thing in your exactly. life. Exactly. Um, but I think the church as a whole is making strides. I mean, the Episcopal Church is in a much different place than other parts of the Anglican Communion. Um, there are still conversations happening across the Anglican 
communion around sexuality. There's still parts that are talking about women's ordination. Hmm. So there is no uniformity. Um, there's unity, but there's not uniformity. And that's one of the gifts, I think, of the Anglican communion. And so the American uh, branch of this church is maybe a bit more progressive than in other parts of the world? A bit would be an understatement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, we have taken some theological steps um, that I think that the rest of the Anglican communion are, is beginning to catch up with. Um, but we have kind of been in the, 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 the church has been on the forefront of making progress. And so this ended up working out very well for you because Mm -hmm. this is a core part of who you are. Exactly. This is something, I mean, would you have wanted to serve in the ministry if you had to do it in a don't ask, don't tell kind of of paradigm? That would be difficult. I mean, I I do know some people who are in that position where they, they feel that deep call to God's service, where they feel that tug on their life, and yet they can't live it fully as who they are. So there are a lot of LGBTQ people across the U.S. who may be soured on the Christian church because mm-hmm. of the stances of, you know, like the Anglican church outside the U.S. Yeah. or like many other Christian churches around the U.S. It's, mm-hmm. How do you seek to change that? And, and can you change that um, with this swath of, of the Christian church that you're now in charge of? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a firm believer in what St. Francis said many, many years or many hundreds of years ago. Um no, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, what, for me, what that means is that we have to show a different side of Christianity because um, back in 2017, Barna did some research, um, especially with millennials, and asked the question, when you hear Christian, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And judgmental was the number one um, response. Wow. Homophobic was number two. Wow. Loving, hopeful, joyful, none of those made the list. So Christianity has a PR problem across the board. Yeah. And so my hope is not just me, but the folks that make up the Diocese of Missouri, that we get to say to folks, Christianity isn't monolithic. All of us are not homophobic or judgmental, that we are a welcoming, inclusive community um, that allows people to be who they really are and who God intends them to be. How do you get to have that conversation if people don't even want to open the door to thinking yeah. about Christianity? Maybe they had a bad experience in the past. Yeah. Well, you see, I, one of the things that I've done as a practice ever since I've been a priest is offer an apology. Mm-hmm. Um, to say, you know, the church does a lot in many ways to hurt um, people. And to apologize to say that we as a church can and should and probably need to do much better, um, I think is a very first step. Um, the other part is for us to just simply show up, yeah. you know, to be present at pride gatherings, to be present. Um, if we devoid our, our voices from the public square, um, I think that the church and the community is lost or loses something by our voices not being there. So, for instance, um, pride coming up, I know a lot of our congregations have tables and booths um, to just be present. Um, We're we're not not there to convert people. We're not there to say, well, you need to come join our church because we're inclusive. Mm -hmm. But we're there to say that God loves you and so do we. How do you see the intersection between having this faith in God and then pushing for political change here on earth? Well, the church by its very nature is political. Um, That doesn't mean that we're partisan. And I think that that's where the problem begins. Hmm. Um, There's a difference between being political and being partisan. Jesus was very political. He was concerned with people. Um, Partisan means that we take a side and the church tries to avoid that. Um, But the call to seek after justice is at the heart of who we are as Christians. Um, And it means that we must stand with those who are oppressed and marginalized. um, And we do that 
best when we actually see and recognize the folks that are marginalized and pushed to the side. So you're talking about these issues. You're just not doing it in a way where you're coming at it and saying, okay, and now you got to vote for this party. Exactly. Um, you know, the big issues that are happening in our world, um, the, the, the violence that's being perpetrated against our trans siblings right now, um, that I think is a church issue to stand with those who have been pushed to the side. Um, it's not about figuring in a party or telling people how to vote, but it's much more about saying, here are people that need to be seen. So at the same time, you're running this uh, diocese that stretches from Kirksville to Poplar Bluff to St. Louis. Are some things that in St. Louis an Episcopalian would take as a no-brainer, can that be politically complicated um, in other parts of your diocese? Yes and no. Um, so each congregation in the diocese kind of gets to say who they are in their neighborhood and their community. Mm -hmm. So we don't strive for everybody has to be in lockstep with each other. Um, but what I've found is that most of, especially our rural congregations like Kirk, like Trinity Church in Kirksville, they're the only welcoming and inclusive um, congregation in the county. So that's part of their identity there. So that's just part of their identity. I mean, they have a wonderful story of putting up um, the trans flag and a Black Lives Matter flag outside the church that was promptly stolen. <laughs> and so I, I sent them a bunch of them in the mail to say, well, if people are going to steal them, here's a bunch more that you can put up. They kept but putting them up. Did they, they just keep kept getting stolen? Them up. They kept getting stolen. And then eventually people just stopped stealing them. Um, they wore people down they, a little bit. They wore it down. But, you know, each congregation gets to set their identity. And the, the, the overwhelming majority of our diocese is leaning towards affirmation and hospitality. Mm -hmm. We're talking today to Bishop Dion Johnson. He is the first uh, black bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri. He's also the first openly gay leader of this diocese. And at the time that he uh, was installed in that position, he was the youngest bishop in any diocese across the U.S. I understand somebody has now challenged you for that title. They have taken the title. I have passed on, <laughs> passed it on. It's nice to not have to be the youngest forever, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that does get at something that I wanted to ask you about. Um, like many older denominations, the Episcopalian Church has been in a state of decline, just if you count just by the numbers, um, yes. for some decades now. The Religion in Public blog noted this last year, quote, one of the most troubling things about the future of the Episcopal Church is that the average member is old. Mm -hmm. The modal age of an Episcopalian in 2019 was 69 years old. With life expectancy around 80, we can easily expect at least a third of the current membership of the denomination to be gone in the next 15 or 20 years. How big a challenge is that for the church going forward? That is a challenge. Um, it's a challenge for the church across the board, not just the mm -hmm. Episcopal Church, um, that the systematic decline is real and it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and th the reality is that it's been happening and we've not been talking about it. Um, and here in the Diocese of Missouri, we've begun to talk about it, um, to just openly have a conversation about where are we headed and how are we going to get from here to there. Um, I, I just wrote an article for our diocesan magazine talking about this exact thing, and I, I said, you know, the church is dead. Long live the church. Mm -hmm. Because I think what the Holy Spirit is doing is pushing us to a different shore. I think that we as the church are being called to a time of really examining why are we here? Why do we exist in these communities and towns and cities? What's our purpose? And how are we able to be good news in a time when the news often seems to be such bad news? 
Um, I'm convinced we need to just go back to the basics, you know, feeding the hungry, taking care of those who are lonely, um, clothing the naked, standing with those who've been oppressed and pushed to the side. Um, I think that that's where, where the church is called to stand in the margins with those who've been marginalized. Do you think if you can more fully reclaim that focus, um, that that's something that will bring younger people in? I think so. I mean, I, I, I look at social media um, and the purpose of social, social media, and most of it is to try to seek connection. And if you really want to think about the church, the church was the original social network. <laughs> it was where you came to be connected to what was going on in the community. Um, and I think not necessarily going back, but redefining what being a church in the community needs to look like um, is where we're called towards in the future. So, Bishop Johnson, you, you know, when we talk about connections, you were installed in 2020. <laughs> this was a time when you couldn't see people face to face. A lot of churches weren't meeting at all. Yep. Uh, it must have been difficult to meet people at first. Well, I can say I got very familiar with Zoom and squares. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Those are some terrible things. Do you feel like now that things are loosening up a little bit, even as we need to continue to have some precautions, that, yep. you know, you're able to, to get to know people in the way that you'd, of course, want with a job yes. like that? Well, I, I, what I've been saying is that I've, I've gotten the longest honeymoon of any bishop <laughs> because I, I, I had a year and a half of just being on Zoom and being a, a little box on people's screen to now being like a 3D person showing up in congregations. And so it's like folks are still happy, like, oh, my God, the bishop's here. Yay, you're, you're a real person. <laughs> so I've been, I've been enjoying the honeymoon and just getting to know people, but also challenging our congregations, to, you know, the, to, to say, how are, we in, how are we engaging in our neighborhood? How are we making a difference here? So is that the big focus now that, let's face it, the honeymoon has got to be starting to end right it, about it's now. It's beginning to wane a little bit. But, yeah. you know, I, I am not one to shy away from hard questions um, or conflict. And not good or bad conflict, just conflict. So, I mean, I, I will and I have been challenging our congregations to do something, to, mm -hmm. to step out of our doors and engage with our neighbors, that we – it's great that we get together on Sunday mornings and we sing hymns and we um, offer prayers, but you know we, we have to be engaged in our community um, and to do what I call out, eyeball outreach. We have to look our neighbors in the face and show them what love looks like. Bishop Dion Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so very much. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. The production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Avery. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. 
Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.